Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. You'll be tired of seeing me, but I am going to I am going to speak this morning and hopefully we'll be able to hear the word of the Lord and what he wants for this service. I have a lot of scripture to read and I felt like I should condense that down, but I feel like we're pretty good on time. So the two hours of notes that I have, we should be out of here by about one thirty or 2. So <laughs> I'm teasing. If anybody knows me, I'm not long-winded and I can study for two weeks and have 10 minutes worth. So we're good. I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Acts, chapter 17. We'll be reading verses 16 through 34. However, we are going to... We're going to start and we're going to end. We're going to leave some of the middle out and then we're going to pull that back in as we go, if that's okay. Acts chapter 17 and verse 16. The Bible says, Now while Paul awaited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw that the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. And certain philosophers of the Epicureans and the Stoics encountered him, and some said, What will this babbler say? And others, some, He seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. If you'll skip down to verse 32, the Bible says, And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. And others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from them. In verse 34, Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed, among the which was Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. And with the help of the Lord today, I just want to be, I want to be mindful of what God would want us to hear today and what his purpose is for today. So with his help, I'm just going to talk to you from a very simple subject. We're not going to go very deep today. Just simply don't delay. And that's probably not going to make a whole lot of sense right now, but hopefully towards the end it'll come together. So if you'll put your Bibles down right now and if you'll just lift your hands. He'll pray that God would open 
our minds today. God, and open our hearts today. Help us see, Lord, past today. God, help us right now in the name of Jesus to open our minds and our eyes, God, to see this great salvation that is around us. God, let revelation, God, let it fall like scales from our eyes in this place today. God, I'm asking you to let conviction fall among us, Lord, and help us to give holy unto you everything that we are and everything that we have in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. You may be seated. The book of Acts 17 is uh, an account of Paul the Apostle. He's, he's on his missionary journeys and the Bible says that he's left one place and into another and we find him here in, in, in the city of Athens and every time Paul would enter a city, it would, it would stir him and move him that he would see that, that people were lost and people were dying in, in their sin and, and so naturally what he would do is he would enter into the synagogues but he would take it from there into the marketplaces and into the highways and the hedges and he would speak God's word. And so this is what we find him doing today. He's, he's, he's in the marketplace. He's left the synagogue and, and, and two groups of people have brought him into a marketplace to, to, to tell of what he's in the synagogues talking about. The Bible says that they took him and they brought him into the Areopagus saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know therefore what these things mean. And so the Bible talks about these two people that have brought him in, two sects of people, so to speak. And, and, and so in verse 22, the Bible says that Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, You men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. For I passed by and beheld your devotions. I found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship him, declare I unto you. And he went on to say that God created the heavens and the earth and God was the, the author of all things and that we should seek after him with everything that we are. And then he finished that up when he talked about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that there would be a resurrection of the dead. And so then they said, well, we'll discount that. And some said, well, we'll hear about this again. And so Paul left but some men clave unto him. Paul had an unequivocal, undeniable experience with God. It is no doubt. His road to Damascus experience, it changed his life forever. And Jesus' purpose absolutely became the purpose of Paul. And so he's propagating the gospel to the Greeks. And as we've already said, he's awaiting Timothy and Silas in the city of Athens. The Bible says that he was stirred in his spirit when he saw that the whole city was turned over to idolatry. He was consumed with the gospel because he knew that it had power. He knew that it had power to change lives. He had seen it and he had experienced it himself. It was who he was. It was ingrained in everything that he said and everything that he did. And he was a direct recipient of God's grace and his mercy. Paul preached what some would 
maybe call a very simple message throughout his missionary journeys. He, he preached Jesus, Jesus crucified, and Jesus' resurrection. Some may say that's very simple, three parts, but I don't say that's simple today. I say that is simply powerful. There is nothing more powerful than a God who created the heaven and the earth, stepping off of his throne and humbling himself. There is nothing more powerful than knowing that he died on a cross, spilling his own innocent blood. He died a sinner's death, yet he remained sinless. There's nothing more powerful than hearing that not only did he die for our sins, but three days later he rose triumphantly with the keys to death, hell, and the grave. But see, there was some there that day that needed more evidence. There was some there that day that it just didn't seem enough for them. And so even today we see this play out in our world in similar fashion. And so I would like to pose just a few questions today just for our own thought-provoking concept. How much more convincing do you need than the resurrection? How much more convincing do you need hearing that there are solutions for your problems? How much more convincing do we need than to hear that there is healing for our sickness, there's a way out of our situations, and there is absolute deliverance from our sin. But still, since all of this is true, we need more convincing. So they said, we'll hear you again. Just go your way and we'll pick this up some other time, you know, when it's more convenient for us. You see, we're okay right now with how we are. We're perfectly comfortable living the way that we've been living. We want to weigh all of our options. So we'll pick this up again when you come around, perhaps. The Bible says these people in this place, they just stayed there and hung around as if to either tell or hear of some new thing. And sadly, the world that we live in today, they live by this same philosophy and same attitude. And unfortunately, it has opened up the door for all sorts of things. One in particular in matters of religion, there's a wide variety and a wide array of things, of so-called options, so-called solutions that are available and so we have a veritable smorgasbord of choices. Just about anything has been accepted. And just about anything has been adopted as a way of life. And as for salvation, there are more philosophies and philosophers than you can shake a stick at. And so with this, people have adopted a mentality of taking and leaving. Like a buffet, they just kind of move through life and they take on this and they leave off that. I'll have a little of this if it's not too strict. But if it goes against the grain of where I am, then I'm going to leave that off. And I'll just pull a few more things in. And, and so we'll adopt this uh, idea, this conglomeration of, is created. And they find themselves in a virtual middle ground. Don't go too far left and don't go too far right. We're just going to stay neutral. Now, I'm not talking about having balance in life. There absolutely has to be balance in all things. 
But today I'm talking about some absolutes. Absolutes that are foundationally and fundamentally the Word of God that cannot and will not change for any society, any individual, or anybody. They should not change, and they do not change. The Word of God is forever settled. Yet the world that we live in has attempted to blur these lines in, into an alternate thinking to fit this universal middle ground where everything is accepted, yet nothing is truly bought into, yet so unaccepted of truth and moral principles. In my study, I, I had this word just roll over in my mind over and over and I, I, I don't know where it came from. It, it had to be from the Lord because I'm not that smart. But the word was neutrality. And I'm, I, I thought, that there's no way that's a real word. I had to have made that up. So I looked it up. And neutrality, not only is it a word, but it is a philosophy that some have adopted. It's a philosophy to not side in a conflict. And it can get very... Um, wordy, so bear with me just for a moment. It can be quite complicated, so I'm just going to try to paraphrase and just sum up what this is. It's, it's not to side in a conflict, whether physical or ideologically, which does not necessarily mean that the neutral part is not a side or has a side in and of itself. The philosophy of neutrality implies that you should not judge the validity of an opinion. Thus, the neutral person will provide a platform for all opinions, whether they are irrational or malicious. However, what happens in this scene, in this scenario, is that inaction actually becomes action. It becomes action because you're providing a platform for all opinions and all philosophies and whatever else may come into your life. It equals an active support in them or an inactive support in them. Either or. You see, there's no in-between. In times past, this philosophy or way of life has been looked down upon as a character flaw. However, in our modern society, it's deemed a virtue. We've all heard to say it, if you don't stand for something... You're going to fall for anything. So essentially not buying into or accepting one thing sends a message that the other is either endorsed or believed. Jesus himself, he spoke of this very thing. He said, no man can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one or you'll love the other. Notice he said, no man can serve two. He never said no man can serve none. It's one or the other. Either you're for God or you're against Him. Either you believe His Word or you don't. Either you stand for truth or you don't. There is no in-between. One writer penned these words, The darkest places in hell are reserved for those who maintain their neutrality in times of moral crisis. If that's not the world we are living in today, I don't know what he is. And so Paul is on Mars Hill and he spoke 
he preached, and he declared the eternal word of God. That Jesus lived, he died, and he rose again, and he will return. He preached the absolute heartbeat of Jesus. Jesus always, always spoke in proactive terms. He never intended for man to be stagnant. He never intended for man to just be lazy. And he never intended for man to be accepting of all things. He never intended for us to just simply tolerate or to sit idly by. We are to be proactive. He said, seek and you'll find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Ask and you shall receive. And so what are we supposed to seek And what are we supposed to ask? I submit to you today that we're supposed to seek the face of God and ask His will be done in this world and in this life. So what is His goal, you may ask? His goal is that every man everywhere would repent. It's never been solely to heal the sick, although He is a healer. We know that, absolutely. He's a healer. But that's never been his primary goal. It was that men would repent and turn away from the world and hold on to him with everything that they are. His goal is and was and is now to seek and to save that which was lost. This was significant. Because when he would heal, he would often say at times, your sins are forgiven thee. Because it was his heartbeat that man be saved. It was his purpose. John the Baptist was not the only one that preached repentance. The Bible says in Matthew 4 and 17, we find Jesus after he's left his wilderness experience, he's been tempted of the devil. The Bible says from that time Jesus began to preach And to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repentance is the foundation. It's the root source for any any life that is to be made whole. There must be a willing and repentant heart and able for the Lord to renew it. And repentance is certainly not a one-time thing. Repent is a proactive term. It's a proactive word, and it is a proactive act. It means to tear down the house, so much so that there is nothing to return to. It's something that absolutely must be done and not necessarily said. Repentance is essential. It's essential because of sin, and no one is exempt. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. David said in Psalm 51 and 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Every man, every woman that is born into this world by, by nature is born into sin. Sin is a real issue. It's a real thing. And it must be dealt with both swiftly and intentionally. We've heard our pastor talk in the last few Wednesday nights about sin. 
and how Jesus told his disciples that if anything offends you, any appendage offends you, to cut it off. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. Not necessarily saying that you should pluck out your own eye literally and your hand off literally, but that if, if something is offensive, if something is there that is going to cause you to fall, you must deal with that intentionally. It has to be severed. It has to be separated. Separation has always been the will of God. He told Israel to come out from among them. Be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. It has to be eliminated. And the fact of the matter is you cannot stay neutral in any of it. There is a responsibility on the part of every man, every woman, and every child that sin must be dealt with, must be addressed. And as I've already stated, there is no neutral ground. There's no middle in matters of salvation. There's no middle ground in matters of the Word of God. The Word is direct. It's straightforward and it's absolute. Hebrews 4 and 12 said, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word simply does not play. It's not wishy-washy. It doesn't change. If God said in Leviticus that it was wrong, then in 2014 it's wrong. If he said in the book of Deuteronomy that it's wrong in 1950, 60, 70, and on up through the ages past our time, it'll still, it'll still be wrong. It's just that firm. And so I have a responsibility to the Lord, to my family, and to myself to obey every facet of every word that is contained in its pages. Why? Because the Word of God contains everything you need to make it through this life and on to the next. The Word contains instruction. The Word of God contains hope, and it contains salvation. The prophet Joel foretold of that, and Joel 2 and 28, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Peter preached it, Acts 2.38, that Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children, and all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection is the essential ingredients to overcome and become anything that he has intended for me to be. All you have to do is obey it. All you have to do is believe it. All you got to do is put your life in line with it. Well, you may say, well, that worked for you. Now, that may have worked in your life, but that doesn't work for me. I beg to differ. It will work for you because the promise is unto you and to your children and all that are afar off. Afar off is not geographically stated. Rather, it's a reference to time. And I have already stated if something was wrong back then and is still wrong today, even so by that same token, if it was right back then for them, it's still right for us today. 
that promise that spoke of millennia to come when a group of people would gather together in a tent meeting in the early 1900s. The same statement is relevant today as we gather together in this house. It's still apparent, it's still available, and it's still right. The Holy Ghost outpouring was not just for the apostles. It was not just for those in that upper room but it's for you today. It's for your children and all that God will call to this place and to his spirit. He's still pouring out his spirit. He's still healing the sick. He's still forgiving sin. And this truth is still being proclaimed. This truth is still right and it never changes and it absolutely is eternal. It's going nowhere. The Bible says that my word shall not pass away. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word will not pass away. Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill that day and he proclaimed that very word, that eternal word of God. And so the meat of my message today, he proclaimed the eternal word of God. Yet some stood still as if to say we need to hear more. But we don't want to hear it right now. So you go your way and when it's more convenient we'll pick this up again. Can I tell you today that there's danger in waiting? The men and women that day, they, they had three separate reactions when Paul was finished. When the word went forth, some rejected. Some bought in, but some wavered. As I've already stated in being neutral, can I tell you that there's just much danger in waiting than there is in a haul-out rejection. You see, when the truth presents itself, decisions have to be made. When the word of God goes forth, you either pull that in and you hold on to it or you let it pass by. Whether you reject or whether you refrain, it states the same message. Some of the people on the hill that day were there for something new, to hear some newfangled thing. They had no doubt, heard everything under the sun. And they were so full that they could literally let the word walk in and walk right back out, right out of their presence, perhaps forever. Now my purpose today is not to scare or frighten anyone into doing anything that they're not already prepared to do. Jesus is a gentleman. He doesn't push himself on any, anything or anybody. He just presents himself. And so we have the decision. My purpose is not to frighten you, but only to bring to reality and bring that reality to the surface that anything outside of God can give you peace and strength and salvation. Nothing, absolutely nothing outside of Him 
can do these things. They can't give you anything of eternal value. We're not promised even our next breath, much less tomorrow or any other time to hear and receive eternal words from God. Your happiness, your fulfillment, it won't come from cars, it won't come from money, and it won't come from homes or the next big thing. Your salvation will only be found, hear me, at an altar, at an altar of repentance, dying out to everything that has tried to enter your, your life and allowing God to touch you. It will only be found at a, an intersection with a repentant heart and a willing God to fill you with his spirit. It's at that moment that he can fill you with that same power that will resurrect you. It's that same spirit that raised him from the dead that will raise you from the dead in the resurrection. Romans 8 and 10 says, And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. It is absolutely imperative that all men, all women, under the sound of my voice today, let go of the world and hold fast to the never-changing word of Jesus Christ. He's the only way. He is the only truth. And he is the only life. And so in closing today as our musicians come, I want to talk to you about the people that cleave. Acts 17 and 34 said, How be it certain men clave unto, unto him and believed. The word cleave, it, it doesn't simply mean to just be with. But the word means to glue. It means to join together to cement together, firmly together, to join oneself to. And so that word brings another story to my, to my memory. and It reminds me of Ruth, how that in this text that we've read, Ruth was, she was from an, an idolatrous land. She, she lived among idolatrous people and after the death of their husbands her and her sister-in-law they had a very important decision to make either move forward and follow the promise or return to what they knew the Bible says that Orpah she returned she chose to return to her people but the Bible says of Ruth that she clave unto her, unto Naomi, her mother-in-law. She clave unto her. She told her that wherever you go, I know there's promise that way. I know that there's a future that way. I don't know about this back here. But I know that there's a promise where you're going. 
and I'm not going to let go of you. I'm going to hold on to you with everything that I am. Where you lodge, that's where I'm going to lodge. Where you go, that's where I'm going to go. Your people, they're going to be my people. And your God, he's going to be my God. She had no idea the impact that she was making upon her own life and the lives of countless others at that moment in time. Her decision that day, it catapulted her life into the eternal word of God. As someone who gave themselves wholly to everything, to the promise. And so as we stand today, I feel like I'm talking to somebody right now, so just... You've come to this place today because obviously you're seeking after something. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. If you've lived very long on this earth, I know, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, but you've heard everything under the sun. You've heard everything from A to Z that'll cure you, that'll touch you, that'll save you. You've heard problems and solutions and situations can be remedied. They can be pushed back for just a season, but they'll always be there. No, no they won't. Because I serve a God that can take care of those problems. I serve a God who can eradicate those situations. Not just push them back for a season. Not just just put them away from you for some time, but he can heal you. He can deliver you. He can forgive you right now. Up to this point, maybe you've been searching and looking for something to fulfill your life. Maybe you've been looking for something to, to fulfill your desire for peace and for hope. And you've literally heard it all. You've entered in this place at this very moment in the presence of an almighty God. The God who created the heavens and the earth. And he created you. He understands you. He knows your hurts. He knows your pain. He hears your questions in the midnight hour. Is there a God? And does he love me? He hears you. And you've entered this place today at an intersection of time that is absolutely ordained of the Holy Ghost. He understands you more than you understand yourself. He understands that desire because he put it there. And you're in his presence. And not only does he know, not only does he care, but he, he possesses the power 
to take care of it and to do something about it. But the thing about it is, is that you have a responsibility in your own life to be proactive. You have to make the decision to step out on that. You have to make up your own mind because he won't do that for you. I don't dare, ever dare to offend anyone. I don't dare to even compare myself to the Apostle Paul. However, Paul had an undeniable experience with God. And I stand before you not as someone with his chest poked out, not as someone as a pompous person, but I stand before you as someone that has had an undeniable experience with God. You see, he delivered me from a life of total destruction. He delivered me from my own impending death and doom. He lifted my burden. He forgave me of my sin. He healed me of my sickness. And he could do it for you. If we could end like this, if I could tell you this, if this all makes sense with this one statement, is don't delay the promise of God. Don't delay the promise of God in your life. You don't know what lies on the other side of this encounter. You don't know what, other, what lies on the other side of that door. Don't delay the promise of God in your life. He can change you. He can forgive you of whatever you have done right now in this moment. He can touch your life and change you and mold you into the person that he has called you to be. And don't ever make the mistake he has called you to this place. You're not here for no reason. You're not here just by happenstance. You're here because the eternal word of God has met at an intersection with your life. And now there's a decision that has to be made. You have nothing to lose. Nothing to lose by stepping out of your seat and finding your way down to this altar. You're not going to lose your dignity. You're not going to lose your status. You're not going to lose anything, but you're going to gain you're going to gain. You have everything to gain. The Bible says that some men, they rejected. Some men, they delayed. Said, we'll hear you again. I don't believe that Paul ever went back to that place. I'm not so sure that he ever graced Mars Hill again. Even if he had. It's not to say that they would be there to even hear him. Some rejected. Some said, we'll hear you again. But some men, they clave unto him. Oh, they clave unto him because he had the words of eternal life. He contained the words of eternal life and they clave unto him. They said, I'm going to follow the promise. 
I'm not going to go back to what I used to be. I'm not going to stay right here in this place, but I'm going to follow the promise. Can you lift your hands today? Can you lift your hands today and cry out to God? These altars are open if you want to find your way to an altar of repentance, an altar of prayer, and let God change your life today. He can fill you with His Spirit right now. He can change your life forever right now. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.